0: Neil, we are recording. Phew, welcome back. Sorry to have to rush everyone, but we wanted to make sure we got to see a little bit of what everybody did all around the world. So this week is molding and casting, then uh, we'll pick up electronics next week with input devices for sensing, Uh, back to fabrication for composites, then back to electronics for networking. Uh, molding and casting is one of my favorite topics if 3d printing is overrepresented uh, and overhyped uh, molding and casting is underrepresented uh, your assignment this week is to design a 3d mold not just download it but design it and then I want you to machine it not 3d print it because one of the goals this week is three axis rough and finish cutting and then cast parts from it. So an example is, here's a two-part mold machined in machinable wax. Then I cast a silicone elastomer. And this is actually a fancy kind of concrete, essentially. This is a a little self-inverting top that that turns upside down. Um, In this part, it has a much better surface finish than you can get from ordinary 3D printing. Um, you can batch mass-produced parts at low cost, and you can do it in a range of materials you can't 3D print. Uh, a fun example is uh, this is Alex Schaub, uh, originally from Amsterdam. and in the Fab Academy, he made a foosball table. And for molding and casting, he designed tooling again, machining machinable wax, casting rubber. And then he's casting uh, plastic parts. And then he's doing a nice process called insert molding, where he's actually casting them in place around the shaft of the foosball table. And so if you look at the parts, once again, they have better surface finish than most 3D printing, good structural properties, low cost, and you can replicate them. You don't have to print them one at a time. Once you've made the tooling, you can cast a series of parts. Uh, Making the molds takes about the same time as 3D printing. But once you've made the mold, you can then replicate it many times. So, types of molds. Um, uh, In, let's start a drawing tool... Sorry, let me just get this brush, brush, pen. Okay. Um, so uh, terms are uh, in injection molding, which is how uh, many of the parts around you are made. Um, uh, typically past plastic pellets are melted, heated, and then a screw forces them into the mold. Um, The sprue is where it interfaces with the mold. Uh, The runner is how it travels in the mold. The gate is where it goes into the cavity. Then in the cavity, a vent is where air leaves, has to be able to get out. A parting line is the seam between the faces of the mold. And flashing is any material left in the parting line. A bad mold needs lots of finishing. A good one is so precisely designed, the parts come out with no post-processing. If you visit Lego's factory, the molds are so beautiful that the parts, they're like jewelry and the parts come out completely finished. So that's injection molding. Insert molding is where you mold around something. An example was Alex's part, or for electronics, you could make a circuit and then put it in a case, or you could insert mold. You actually put the circuit in the mold, and then you cast around it. Um, Vacuum molding is where you heat a piece of plastic and you pull it down with a vacuum, and that's most commonly used to make uh, packaging for products. Blow molding is where you inflate uh, um, a part into the mold, and so heating plastic, a plastic tube and inflating it in the mold is the most common way bottles are made. Uh, rotational molding is where you turn the mold as you're casting to drive the material through it. What we're going to do this week is called flexible or soft molding. We're going to make soft, um, tooling like this. And so you're going to machine a rigid material and then make a flexible material and then in that make the part. And the reason for that is in a rigid mold, demolding is very difficult. Um, There has to be a taper or you can't get your part out and you need mold releases so it doesn't adhere. With a flexible mold, you can have vertical faces. You can actually have overhangs. It's much more forgiving for the mold design. So uh, we're going to do flexible or soft tooling. And this is often used as the first step before you make uh, things like injection molds. Um, The molds can have many parts. A one-sided mold, uh, if we come down, um, this is a one-sided mold that makes uh, a topography business card. Um, This is a two-sided mold that makes both sides of the part, but you don't have to start at two. Um, This is a student's homework for uh, this unit where he made a six-sided mold. So he designed this part, and then you assemble them, you cast the part, and this is what comes out. And if you look at that, you might think you'd have to 3D print it. But you can decompose this one into a set of six projections to make a six-part mold. And I've seen complex injection-molded parts go up to 12-part molds. So you can design intricate molds with multiple parts that have really complex nested shapes. But again, if you look at this finished part, it's a dense part with a completely smooth finish in all of the materials you can cast uh, um, rather than 3D printing it. And of course, there's no support for the 3D printing because it's just cast directly into the mold. Uh, Vendors the most common vendor for this week is smooth on smooth on um, job is they make all kinds of things for like architectural detailing for Hollywood special effects. Um, And so this image is a good example of making a complex mold to make a casting of an object like this huge range of um, really interesting materials. We're going to cover many of them. Um, Uh, In the U.S., Reynolds is a distributor that stocks them where you can go and see all of these materials. And again, these are all beautiful examples of what you can do by molding and casting. Um, Blick Art Supply has some interesting molding materials I'll cover. Uh, Boat Builders do molding and casting. I'll cover some of their materials, like West Marine. We're going to use uh, U.S. Gypsum, uh, which is plaster.com, which the name plaster is misleading it's not plaster um but plaster is just part of these casting materials we're going to use and then a is a vendor that uh makes high temp molding and casting they make materials you can mold cast and then fire so you can make custom ceramic parts with the same processes we're covering this week um This is a link to the standard Fab Lab inventory. And so um, uh, these are some of the materials we use uh, um, from them. Uh, This is a low temp wax. Um, This melts just above room temperature. And so we use this if you want to copy an object. If you have a particular object, and you want to make a mold from an existing object, one way to do it is you soften this, press it into it, let it set, take it out. It's not a rigid mold you can use many times, but it's, it's, it's a quick way to for, um, make a mold from an object. Um, we're going to make a lot of use of this. Um, uh, this is a machinable wax, so you can machine this as fast as your milling machine can move, essentially. You can make very deep cuts, um, but it has, you know, it's strong for making a mold. It has great surface detail, great surface finish. And then when you're done, uh, you can melt this back down. At the upper end of a toaster oven, um, you can melt this down and reuse it. And in fact, if you keep the shavings, you can melt the shavings down. And so you can actually reuse it uh, many times and so that's the workhorse for this week is milling the machinable wax for larger molds you can use rigid foam it doesn't have as good surface finish but if you want to make architectural castings you can use the rigid foam glue layers of it together and make larger molds if you do that you have to seal it one way to seal it is by painting it with gesso primer painters use for canvas Another is carefully you can use hot air, and if you use a hot air gun, very gently you can melt back the surface to seal it um, to the cast in the foam. Uh, Alginate gels, um, they make gels that have to be wet. They're kind of gooey. You can't use them many times. The biggest use of this is they're human safe, and so this gets used if you want to make a mask of like a hand or a face. You can use this to take masks from um, uh, people and cast them for special effects. Um, oh, that's funny. Smooth On is blocking, Smooth On's firewall is blocking. This is a site in Amazon's cloud. And on's firewall is blocking it. Um, that's funny. Um, so uh, there's urethane rubbers. In this picture, um, the orange material is a urethane rubber. Um, it makes tough molds you can use many times. And it's also good if you want flexible but, but pretty tough parts, like if you want to cast wheels for a model car or rollers for a driver. And then um, we use urethane um, uh, plastics for casting. So the smooth cast series um, lets you make uh, beautiful plastic parts that you can um, uh, either use with their colors, like white, or you can dye them. Um, Let's go back to here. Uh, so these let you cast beautifully finished, uh, plastic parts. Um, and so they pour into the mold and when they come out, they look like nicely finished plastic parts, like something like Lego bricks. Um, uh, smooth cast color match. Um, the, there's a whole series of color tints for these that you can take the uh resin and you can mix colors in and get all sorts of um uh color parts with it. So we use uh urethanes both for flexible molds and for rigid plastic parts. Um one of the oh um, um I'll, I'll double-check those links. Um, umu is one of the main materials for this week. It's a silicone. So compared to the urethane, it has two nice properties. Um, uh, it's very friendly. It's, um, there's really no volatile. You can use this without any ventilation. And it's very inert. Essentially, nothing sticks to it. So it's a very friendly casting material. Compared to the urethane though, it's not quite as tough and you can't use it quite as many times, but it's a great starting material. Um, and so that's, um, these silicone-based rubbers are um, what I recommend you start with and only grow beyond them when you uh, need other properties. And so that's great for making the flexible molds. Um, PDMS is a fancy silicone And its main use is very high resolution. You can go down to make nanostructures with it, uh, super high resolution parts. Um, You'll see mention of latex, but I really don't recommend this for anything. Latex molds, they can take weeks to make. You have to paint it in thin layers and keep letting it dry. The urethane and the silicone do deep section cures. You can make thick parts. The latex, you have to paint on in thin layers. Its main use is where you can't cast around something. You have to actually paint the mold onto it, like an architectural feature. But I don't really recommend it for essentially anything. Um, For plastics, there are thermos plastics that you can melt and use many times. There's thermosets that you can only use one time. And an example of that is the urethane plastic. Um, Then we get to these materials, dry stone and high stone. Oh, let's see. Um, They've moved these links also. I'll fix that. Um, They just updated their site. Um, So dry stone and hydrostone are wonderful materials. So again, I'll I'll fix these links on the class site. Um, These are, they have, they're based on calcium compounds that are the basis of plaster, calcium sulfate. Um, But plaster is sort of granular and brittle. It's not a good structural material. And so um, the dry stone mixes the plaster with a polymer matrix. And so what that does is it ends up looking almost like a plastic part, uh, but the difference is this is super cheap. 50 pounds is about twenty dollars. When you mix it, it's very low viscosity; it flows very easily. And rather than petrochemicals, it's essentially rocks. It it it. Um, Hydrostone is very closely related. Um, It's closer to a Portland cement. It's a little bit grayish. It needs a little bit of drying when you're casting. The dry stone dries internally, but it makes slightly stronger parts. But both of these give you beautiful surface finish in strong parts at very low cost that are very easy to cast. And so for those reasons, this week, I'd like you to start with a silicone mold, like umu, and start with the dry stone and hydrostone materials that are very low cost and let you make strong parts for casting. Um, once you're done that, you can experiment with other materials. But uh, And again, the dry stone and the hydrostone don't need any ventilation. The urethanes need good ventilation, and some of the other casting materials need very good ventilation. I'll talk about that. Then um, you can cast metal parts. And so uh, this was a nice example. I think this was from Taipei of a Fab Academy student um, who designed, machined the wax, cast the rubber. And then in here, what he's doing is he's casting um, this metal alloy I'll describe to make a uh, custom Fab Coins. So he's using... Uh, what's called true, It has various names. It's a bismuth alloy, um, but there's no heavy metals. It's not considered hazardous. Um, An ingot of this is about $15. Um, It melts at 281F. It's called a eutectic. There's there's a depressed melting temperature from the combination of the alloy. Um, I like to pour this at 400F which is within the range of a a toaster oven. And then you can cast it in the silicone as long as you dust it with talc. The talc both helps protect the silicone and it helps the molten metal uh, wet the surface. If you don't do that, you get bubbles. But if you do that, you get surprisingly strong, nice-looking metal parts. It's not high-temp aircraft alloy, but it's surprisingly strong metal parts. And so with the same process you're doing this week, you'll be able to do um, serotrue casting. Uh, It's more dangerous, but in the Fab Lab, you can cast aluminum, but that's not a desktop process. You make a master, um, you then pack it, and... And the most common way to do it is um, with clays or sands. So these are casting clay or casting sand that you pack around the um, part and then you pour in molten aluminum. And um, this is a much higher temperature. This needs hazardous protection. You need to do this in a foundry setting. It's not a tabletop process. But some labs get set up to do that. Um, And then this is a fun example. Um, this is what, I don't recommend doing what he's doing exactly in this picture with his hand, but this is now molten glass at a few thousand degrees, and he milled wood, and then when the glass touches wet wood, a vapor barrier forms and a charcoal layer forms that actually lets the glass be right next to the wood, and he's using that to make a mold to shape glass at a surprisingly high temperature. Um, Then I mentioned, uh, if you want even higher temperatures still, uh, Remco makes moldable ceramics that you mold and fire. And then finally, food, um, so far, everything I've described is not food safe, and you don't want to let food anywhere near it. Um, But Smooth On has a few kinds of materials, and in particular, the Sorta Clear is food safe. And then this is really fun. With this, what you can do is machine the wax to make tooling, and then you can cast pops, you can make um, ice cubes, uh, chocolate, all kinds of um, custom tooling to make food. You have to use the food-safe material. The other ones are not at all food-safe, but these are. And as long as you keep all of your um, tooling and everything you do in the workflow you can use this to make um, custom food casting. Okay, So focus this week on the machinable wax going to the umu silicone, going to the hydrostone or drystone to start, and then after that you can experiment with some of these other materials. Uh, The material doesn't need to be solid. So um, these are examples for boat building of additives. uh, let's see, The uh, among the additives are, um, um, let's see, yeah, there should be many more of these. Um, I'll check the link. But additives include graphite for friction and conductivity, aluminum or nickel for metal properties um you can add um ground up uh quartz for example for thermal conductivity you can get glass microspheres um uh, and with the glass um not not that um Um, These are bags of um, micro glass spheres. Uh, um, ah, Here we go. Uh, Micro light filler. And what this does is if you have a heavy material like a dense plastic or the concrete type materials, you can add this to reduce their density that you mix this in. And so you have a matrix of the material around the the microspheres and they add porosity that let you reduce the density of the casting to make it lighter. Um, And then you can add chopped fibers to strengthen it. And um, in two weeks, we'll cover um, a lot on that because composites are fibers in a resin. So to make the mold, there's a, a lot of steps to go through. The first one is in the same way you learned that before you run a big machining job, you first cut air to make sure the toolpath is right, and then you do some test cuts for feed and speed, and then you run the full-size job. In the same way in molding and casting, the first thing you do is make a little test cast. Before you make a big batch and use your mold, just make a little test cast and cast a little part in anything like a little plastic cup to make sure that the, first of all, the resin is in good condition. These have a shelf life and old resin won't set properly. So you wanna make sure it's in good condition. You wanna make sure you're mixing it properly and setting it properly. If you don't mix mix it properly, it won't set and you get a gooey mass. So make sure you make a test cast to make sure everything works properly. Um, These are generally two-component systems, and you need to mix them. So the um, silicone or the urethane, you mix two materials together. Um, They need to be uniformly mixed so there's no striations. You can't see any internal structure. For small batches, you do it by hand. For big batches, you use a power tool but the mixing takes about five times longer than you expect. Um, A common beginner thing is you pour the material together, you stir it to mix it, you dump it in your mold, but it's not properly mixed, and what comes out is a gooey mass that never sets. So you need to mix it so completely that there's no striations, that you can see it's completely homogeneous, which takes longer than you expect when you're learning. Then, you need to pour it in the mold. And so if you dump it in the mold, you'll get bubbles trapped. And so there's some art to pouring. Um, you, you begin pouring it. Typically, you want to have a thin bead. Um, the thin bead, actually, part of the bane of all of this, to jump ahead, is bubbles. If you get bubbles trapped in the material, it looks like the left, if you do it properly it looks like in the right so part of um, pouring it with a thin bead is the bubbles actually pop on the way down and then the bead starts to fill the mold and it, it begins to flow through it um, uh, when you're filling the mold um, if you have uh, corners it's very easy to get bubbles trapped around them um, So. One of the ways to deal with that is you can actually come in if you expect it with like a little implement, like a wooden stick and just sort of poke the corner to to drive it in. One of the tricks you can use is actually to paint your mold first. You take the resin and you take a a little applicator or a brush and you paint it on the surface to make sure there's good coverage. Then you pour it in. Otherwise you can get bubbles trapped in corners. Um, When you fill the mold, Um, one of the things you want to do is think about the orientation. If you fill it horizontally, it'll hit the top surface in one go and can trap air. Typically, what you'd like to do is slightly angle the mold so that the, the, the filling surface continually moves along the top surface as a boundary, so you don't trap air at that interface. And while you're filling it in, air is leaving, so you need a vent. And so you want the vent to be around the top of the mold along with the fill. And so all of that goes into the design of the mold. Um, You're you're nearly certain to confuse yourself. The first time you design a mold, you have the positive part you want to make that becomes the negative part of the flexible tooling, that becomes the positive part to cast it in, and almost always you get it wrong at first. And so you'll need to go through this a few times to just get your mind around the process of the mold design. Um, As part of the mold design, you also wanna think about the registration. So um, if you look at Alex's mold, um, he has bumps between the top and bottom to register the the top and bottom. But those little bumps don't hold it very well. Um, What I like to do is if you look at this mold, between the top and bottom, you'll see there's a continuous seam, so one mold completely fits in the other one. That makes sure they're very tightly registered, which reduces imperfections uh, and slashing. So once you do all of that, first time you do it, you're likely to get bubbles. And so there's a couple tricks to to preventing bubbles. Uh, One is avoid getting them in in the first place. And so if you mix your resin by just stirring, every time you stir, you're driving air in. Um, The hydrostone or drystone are very low viscosity. Um, It's less of an issue for them. But things like the silicone or the urethane are very, much more viscous, and so they'll trap the bubbles. So one trick is, instead of scooping when you stir, you shear. You, 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 you stir by shearing it, moving horizontally, not scooping vertically. And you can mix it by shearing horizontally, to shear the materials together, but not drive air in, to reduce the amount of air that goes in. Um, One of the things you can do is vibrate the material after you mixed it to drive the air out. Um, One of the most common ways to do it um, is to have a, um, put it in a vacuum chamber. And so uh, smooth on, a number of vendors sell containers that you put it in and you pull a vacuum. And so you mix the material, then you pull a vacuum to pull the bubbles out of it. Or you can do the opposite. You can have an overpressure where you increase the pressure to force it in and shrink the bubbles. And so those are all um, tricks to try to get the bubbles out of the mold. So you mix the resin. Um, You you get the bubbles out. Um, One more um, simple trick is after you mix it, you don't pour it in right away because there are bubbles. It takes a little while for the bubbles also to come out naturally. And so when you mix the resin, if you just let it sit and gently agitate it, bubbles will start rising and you just scoop them off as they rise. And you give it a couple minutes, Before to let the bubbles come out before you pour it in Um, so then it needs to set and so for the um, plastics there's a polymerization Um, for the hydrostone or drystone materials there's uh, hydration Um, these are generally um, exothermic reactions which means they release heat and they actually can release a lot of heat. So when you mix these, they'll warm up, and um, that means it's reacting. And after they cool back down, that's a sign that it's done and ready to come out of the mold. But you need to be careful because in a big section, it can actually get very hot. In really big castings, like concrete in a building, they actively cool it. And so one of the things that can go wrong is if you mix too much material um, and more than you need in your mold that's just in the container, um, the unused material will go through the setting process and it'll get very hot. Um, And so it's hot enough, for example, if you mix it in a plastic cup, um, it'll melt the cup. And a common... uh, failing is you mix too much, it starts to get hot. And once it does that, there's very little you can do. And so it starts to get hot, it starts melting the cup, it starts smoking, um, and there's very little you can do with that other than try to externally cool it. So you need to be aware that in small batches, the temperature helps you know how the setting is progressing. In big batches, it gets so hot, you actually need to cool it. It can get... um, Uh, become hazardous Um, then you need to demold Um, if you're making a rigid mold um, to demold you if you just have straight faces and you cast a vertical part it's very hard to get it out and so something like a lego brick there's a slight taper to the mold To make it easy to demold it that's in a rigid mold Um, in a flexible mold you can just uh, bend it Um, you also need to make sure the material you're casting doesn't stick to the mold so urethane or hydrostone or dry stone in silicone they just don't stick but for example urethane plastic in urethane rubber does want to stick and so you need to use a release agent And so Smooth-On has release agents designed to prevent sticking to the mold. Um, You can also use things like um, dilute dish soap, uh, Vaseline, talc powder are all examples of release agents. And again, this is once again a nice example of a large-scale mold to be able to make architectural-scale castings. Um, The resins First of all, how you store them is somewhat sensitive. The, the um, rubbers or the plastics are two-component systems. Uh, unopened, they have a shelf life of about a year. Uh, once you open them, they have a shelf life of only about a few weeks. Um, and it can be much shorter than that. if you have When you pour it out, if you have gunk on the rim and then you close the lid, that gunk can begin to degrade. And even worse is if in any way you have like a cloth that touches one resin and then the other, and then you close it up, you'll actually set it so you can never open the lid. So you need to be very scrupulous about keeping the containers clean after you use them. Yeah, it's a messy process. which I'll talk about, but you need to be really disciplined about keeping the containers clean so you don't crud up the lips so you can use all of the material rather than have it be um, degraded. Um, So uh, be very careful in cleaning up after yourself with it and be aware of the shelf life. Old resin won't set. And so if you don't know how old it is, it's very important to do a test cast to make sure it sets properly. Um used properly, these make beautiful parts um old resin poorly mixed makes a a gooey mess uh safety um a number of these materials have warnings, so like um if we get to um uh this crystal clear series um So let's jump to this. Uh, This looks great. It makes these super clear parts. But if you go to the page for it, it says caution not for home use. Um, uh, Material safety data sheets are what you use to evaluate material safety. Um, These all come with safety data sheets. When you see these warnings, they're really, really, really serious. Um, these need materials with these warnings need to be done with extremely good ventilation and extremely good protection. Uh, aside from the risk of immediate danger, what's so bad about these is sensitization. Um, if so, bars in Barcelona a couple years back. Somebody used this without good ventilation. He ended up in the hospital for his reaction. And it can actually change your body chemistry as a lifetime thing. That once you're sensitized, you react very strongly to materials in these family, and you sort of become allergic to them. And so the sensitization to these is a really serious thing. So umu, hydrostone, drystone are completely harmless. The urethane isn't too bad, but it needs good ventilation. These materials that have these cautions, you just don't use unless you know what you're doing. You essentially use them under a fume hood wearing protective gear. They're very dangerous. So you need to really carefully read the safety instructions of the materials. And that's once again why we're recommending starting with these friendly materials. So generally, Your labs should have a molding casting area. Um, It's messy. Even if they're safe, it's sticky, it's gooey. You don't want it in your eyes. So you you do this even for the safest materials, wearing gloves for cleanup. Um, You don't want to have loose hair or loose clothing. Um, You want an area you can cover with sheets of paper you can throw out. You need a good messy workspace for this. And if you begin to move up, In these materials you need really good ventilation um, uh, to cast with them so this week you could 3d print the mold but the reason I don't want you to 3d print the mold is um, 3d printing it is as good as the resolution of your 3d printer Um, by machining um you can get much better surface finish than all but um state of the art uh 3D printing so much higher resolution um you can do this with a you know a, a little few thousand dollar tabletop nc mill and you can also do this um on much larger scales so um if we go back to you know uh this example from Smooth-On, um, the, the molds can be as large as your biggest tool. You're not limited by the bed size of a 3D printer. So what I want you to do this week is to mill a mold. It can be one, two, more than two parts. And so um, you're going to machine it. And so in machining now, in make something big, you were doing two axis. This machining. This week we're going to do three-axis machining, and so in doing three-axis machining, um, uh, we have our end mill uh, that has a cut depth, and then it has the flutes. So remember, see, there's a couple kinds of end mills. Center cutting ones let you plunge but the end mills cut much more effectively on their side. And so uh, you're first going to rough cut where you make horizontal cuts on each layer to roughly remove the material. Then you're going to finish cut where you make continuous passes to cut it out. And so if we go through an example, um, let's see. Um, um. here. So here what I'm going to do is I'm going to read in an STL file. I'll come back on the tool options, but this is to show the tool path. Um, and so first thing I'm going to do is a rough cut. And so what the rough cut is doing is it's cutting in layers, moving horizontally, and then plunging between them where the tool cuts most effectively. Then I'm going to do a finish cut, and the finish cut is making three-axis moves to make the continuous surface. Um, uh, In hard materials, um, you don't typically plunge directly. You have to ramp into it. The, the wax machine so easily you can plunge directly into it. But part of this week is learning to do rough and finish cuts to make the three axis toolpaths. Um, so one nink. of the options uh, yes, go
1: ahead. Uh, I think it could be nice to mention uh, when you choose step over your resolution when finish milling 7% is about the magic line where you stop seeing tool marks. So 20% can be okay, and usually you don't need to go below 76% uh, step over. Then then that's usually very smooth.
0: Yeah, so what um, Jens is referring to is a detail you're going to learn in great detail this week. Um, Step over is how much the finished passes uh, go next to each other. And 100% step over is where you've just step over by the size of the tool. And that leaves leaves a clear bead between it. Um, Around 10% step over is where you're only going over a tenth of the size of the tool. And that gives you a beautiful, smooth surface. Less than that doesn't really benefit. More than that, you do see artifacts from the machining. And so um, let's see, I think I show that. um oh in in, sorry um i think i showed that in the machining week uh that distinction of um sorry let me take a minute to see yeah um no i don't I, i thought i had a picture showing the difference between the oh Oh no, yeah, this is, sorry, this is the picture I wanted. Um, uh, In fact, let me add that back for this week. Um, So the, uh, just in the little sample shape, on the left is is rough cutting, and that can be quite rough. Um, uh, In the center is step over, but with a large step over. And then on the right is step over with a small step over. And so, you know, ballpark of 10% is a fine step over, but it takes more machining time. So, ShopBot is great for machining wax; it can go very quickly. ShopBot's VCarve does a nice job of all of this. Um, Fusion 360 has nice toolpath generation built into it; it's a good option. And then um, in the Fab modules, uh, that was the video I was showing. Um, of uh, this example is using the Fab modules to read in an STL and then do rough and finish cutting. I haven't yet ported this to the new mods framework. That's one of my homework assignments this week. So the the um, FAB modules um, has the toolpath calculation for rough and finish cutting, and I'll be importing that into the mods framework. Um, uh, I'm pretty close to being up to doing that. And so that lets you, uh, you can read in a height map and turn that into a mold. Um, You can read in an STL file and turn that uh, into a mold. And then um, this is a more complex design. And so this was this example where um, uh, if you look at what I'm doing, uh, I'm using the shaft of the top as the filler. And then I've got a vent. And so when this comes out of the mold, there's a little vent post that I just snap off. And then I've designed the mold so that one completely fits in the other to register. And then I've put the parting line right at the edge. So even if there's a little feature from the parting line, it's right at the edge of the part so you don't notice it. And so all of that goes into an example of the mold design um, to cast this part. Okay. And so what I want you to do this week is design a 3d mold so not download you design it then i want you to machine it not 3d printing so you go through the process of starting from a wax block and doing rough and finish cutting Um, then in it cast on a flexible elastomer take it out and then cast a rigid part and once you've done that you can make uh, many examples um Let me see if I can find, um, there was a fun example, yeah. So this was a a student this week, for this week's assignment, who liked cats. So uh, she designed the cat mold, and this was just a one-sided mold, which is fine for this week. Um, These are the cats made in hydrostone and dry stone, um, painted, and... Here, she did a production run of a whole series of the hydrostone or drystone casts. Then she went back and um, got the food safe material. um, And then she cast uh, chocolate cats. And so that's a nice example of this week's assignment. And once again, if you look at these, they're dense, solid parts with a smooth surface finish with good structural properties. And you can make it in all sorts of materials. Um, so your labs should have the hydrostone, drystone, uh, umu, and you should be set up with the metal casting. I don't expect everybody to make a metal part, but you should be able to do the metal casting to see what that looks like uh, with the true which is an office safe process. Uh, okay, questions or comments?
2: Uh Neil? Yeah. Question. Um, some things. Some thoughts about um, if the assignment description needs to be a bit more clear about two-step casting.
0: About um two two-sided or oh two no two um,
2: two, two steps. So not not cast your final project into your mold, but cast a mold and then cast into that.
0: Yeah. Um. I'll add that description. Um. To Bas's point. Um, I want you to make um, a flexible mold in which you cast a rigid part. Um, and the reason for that is in some cases you can machine the, the mold and cast directly in it, but that's much more limited in um, demolding in the geometry. So I want you to go through the steps of making a flexible mold um, like the image shows. Uh, you're right. I'll, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, I'll an example to show that, hi this is Yanni from Oluf. Yep. Uh, yep. One of my student students uh, needs uh, flexible parts, so I was wondering
3: uh, he would still be to, doing a two-step molding. So, so he would make a mold uh, for
0: oh, a mold see, that's for a, yeah. part, just just to learn the process, but but just using yeah.
1: them yeah. other way around.
0: No, but see, the, the, um, if what you need is a flexible part, um, that's fine to make the rigid mold and then cast the flexible part in it. What is the part that he needs?
3: Uh, he needs a sort of a
0: um, sort of a soft end for a special
1: uh, form of leg for his final project.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. that's fine. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I want you to be yeah. able to see um, rigid and flexible. But if if the goal is a flexible part, it's fine to stop with that. And again, um, I really recommend um, just spend quality time with smooth on. You know, you've been seeing smooth on. When you watch a movie, special effects are full of these. Um, in any one of these families, they have a wide ranges of um, uh, uh, clear, flexible. Um, like, so we've been using, for example, for the urethane rubbers, the PMC series. Um, any one of these, then there's a trait, like if we take the urethanes, um, they range in pot life from very short to very long. Uh, a shorter pot life lets you get your part out more quickly, but a longer pot life is needed. For example, if you're filling a big mold or you needed more work time. For the urethanes, um, you can get wet or dry. What they call wet actually has an oil mixed in with it to sort of to um, help with the demolding. Or you can get dry. Um, uh, so once again, I recommend spending quality time. For flexible parts you probably want to use the urethanes but there's a wide range of these silicones um, uh, also um, for a range of purposes Um, so yeah it's fine to make a a flexible one Uh, but like um, belts bearing wheels uh, drive wheels uh, grippers are all very easy to make uh, with these kinds of materials
2: wood to uh, create a mold wood as a material for mold um
0: uh n- not it, it depends on the wood so um uh m d f does make nice molds um but m d f has very fine grain structure um most wood um unless it's really dense um The grain structure isn't fine enough, and you'll see it in the mold. Um, MDF, you can glue layers of MDF together, and that makes nice molds. But once again, the reason why I really like the machinable wax is you can mill this as fast as your mill can move. You can just blast through it. And this week, you're going to be really limited by machining time. Everybody will want molds with a, a, a nice surface finish. And so you'll be limited by time on the machine. Um, The machinable wax lets you maximize the feed rate. You can zip through it. And the other reason I really like this is you can just remelt it and use it many times. But wood is okay as long as it's really fine grain or um, MDF. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Can you hear me? Yep.
3: Okay. Uh, is it possible to use uh, another cam program, like a, uh, like a Solid cam or something else, uh, to control Model MDX20?
0: Oh, let's see. Because because you can control
3: the Yeah, because uh, standard... Uh, uh, CAM program uh, from uh, Modela like a Modela player or Fab modules has no uh, enough uh, strategies, uh, finishing strategies or rough and strategies, you
0: know? No, but let's see the the, the for the modella the Fab modules um, lets you do rough and finish cutting. All, all these ones I'm showing you were done on a Modela with the Fab modules. Mm-hmm. Um
3: so what about the way to control uh to upload some uh, another uh another side codes uh, from I don't know SolidWorks, uh, SolidCAM or uh Fusion 360 uh, input the modella
0: Yeah, I see, I believe Fusion can talk to the modella. Um
2: yeah. Fusion, information, a Fusion
3: about can it. output a yeah. file.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm pretty sure um, Fusion 360. No, no, the question
3: is how we can upload the G codes into the modella.
0: No, but I'm the modella. Sorry, the, it depends on which one. The newer modellas take either G codes or Roland's RML, the older ones only take RML, which is HBGL. But I'm pretty sure um, Fusion knows how to make RML.
1: Yeah, we've been we've been milling with uh, Fusion and the Modella before.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, let's see, did you have to load a post processor, or is that built in?
1: I think actually they bundle the RML post processor with uh, Fusion when you download it. Uh, I remember yeah. the guy had to, yeah, you know, tinker a little bit, but he got it working.
0: Yeah, that's that's my recollection that that you can. Yeah, I think if you poke around a bit, you'll find Fusion can
1: talk to it. Okay. Um, and remember, uh, Fusion has this great party trick, the adaptive clearing, so you can make molds in, like, ridiculous time with massive material removal rates if you set up the adaptive clearing correctly. Yeah, explain so that. the machine goes to full depth and then starts cutting up.
3: The main sum of my question is uh, how we can upload the rml gcodes uh, uh, into the madela into the madela player or uh, another no, no 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 you, you
0: no 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 you bypass it directly so um in so like um it, in, in a windows no in a linux or Unix system s- sorry
3: not in a Unix system
0: in a windows oh so uh, it so on, i can I can, from another... I can answer that what okay sorry uh Go ahead
2: Boss. I I can answer that question. Um you can actually so basically your problem is getting you have RML code and you need to send it to the machine itself.
3: Um No, uh, uh, imagine we have a RML post processor to uh HIL-260 or uh, Soliscam, I don't know. Uh how we can upload these decodes into the modella?
0: Yeah, no, uh, uh, Bas Boss understands the question. That's what he's gonna answer. Go ahead Boss.
2: So, you have, out of whatever processor you got, you create an RML file. You have the code, and you want to get them to the machine. That's your problem, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. So, one way to do that, I mean, basically, it's just, for the older modellas, it's just a serial connection. Now, you you can use the um, um, modules. You download them, and you get the, the part that sends um, the... Um, rml file to the serial port and you can you can use that on windows that's no problem there because that's I just to I to try uh, pull up uh, the codes
3: into uh, the models and uh, send it uh, to the model yeah
2: yeah so
0: you don't
2: use submodules itself it. you, you you only use the python script that it calls uh-huh. so maybe Neil can you show
0: yeah so um I- in the um... submodules um once you've made it, um uh the Fab oh. modules calls a Python program and the Python program calls uh Py- it, it uses the Python serial and that works just fine in Windows.
3: I so like you know, ta- up- Yes.
0: Yeah. so for yeah. St. Petersburg we're, we're out of time, so if you have further questions, send a note to bot. Go, go ahead. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, so here we use uh, Acer Aspire software, which can directly put the uh, G-code into the Roland Modella. Uh, so that that's one way. The other way is uh, there is a software called vPanel, which comes with the Roland Modella. Uh, uh, so you can, uh, like if you have a SRM20, uh, then you can yeah, directly
0: right. output so, it. Yeah. He was asking about the older serial one, vPanel is for the newer uh, um, uh, one that comes up as a printer. Right, the
2: aspires uh, can work over there, and directly output the file.
0: Okay, so we're, we're out of time. So use the class Elliot for these questions. I'll, I'll clarify on the assignment page again, there's like really three parts to this week. One is learning to do rough and finish cutting to do 3D machining is one goal for this week. One is learning to make molds and cast parts, that workflow. And then one is discovering the huge range of materials you can do casting with. And so I think you'll have a lot of fun. Once again, for all the coverage of 3D printing, this is very underrepresented in the press and in kind of maker events. But in people who actually do stuff like this for a living, it's one of the most important techniques in short-run production, commercial production, special effects. It's a really fun, neat process. Um, So, again, looking ahead, you're going to make molds and cast parts this week. Next week, we'll, we'll cover sensors. And then in two weeks, we're going to do composites. That's going to pick up where this week's left off, where you're going to make bigger molds, but you're going to put in both fiber and resin to make larger, stronger parts. OK, good. So uh, once again, great effort almost everywhere on the machine building. I can see how much time and thought went into it. Um, it's a great lead in to the meta goal of Fab Labs making Fab Labs. Now you can turn to wrap up that and focus on work towards your final projects. And starting with this week, happy molding and casting. So good luck with that, and I'll see you all Monday's recitation. If um, I'll send a reminder, and then Wednesday's class. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, we need a few more than that. We have to do the global goodbye. Uh,
2: bye
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: Thanks. Good. Okay. Now I can okay. go. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye 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 bye.